Hello looters, welcome to the movie loot. I want to apologize for this episode coming up so late, but the thing is that I had to take a plane and I missed it. But then the plane blew up right after takeoff. It was crazy. So this driver picked me up to take me back home. And when I was coming back, there was a freak accident with a logging truck and then a bridge collapsed. I tell you, I barely made it home, but I'm finally safe. Now this ceiling fan is all messed up. Let me see if I can fix it. Five seconds to tell me where you buried the loot. Where's the loot? I don't, I don't know who's got the loot. I don't know if anybody's got the loot. I'm setting up a guy who's incredibly important to us who's going to tell me where the loot is. Where's the loot? Hello, looters. Welcome to the Movie Loot, the podcast where we share the best, greatest, most entertaining, and or weirdest film loot you could find. My name is Carlo, and we'll be sharing the loot today. This is episode 87, the June loot, where I will talk about what I saw during the month of June. And once again, this is another one of those episodes where I will be solo. Again, a lot of stuff going on, so I had to take a bit of a break with the regular loot challenge with a guest during June, but I still managed to get a couple of films under my belt, so let's talk about them. Before we move on to that, we did release our special episode 18, where I take a look at one scene from 1997's LA Confidential, so go check that out if you haven't yet. And we're getting ready for our July loot episode with my friend Darren Lucas. We ended up with a pretty neat batch of categories of films to watch, and I know we will have fun talking about them at the end of the month. Also, I had the pleasure to be a guest once again at the Film Effect Podcast. I joined Ed to talk about Mission Impossible Fallout. And as always, it was an honor and a lot of fun. That episode is already out, so make sure you check it out at Film Effect Pod. Finally, I was also a contestant at Middle Class Film Class Trivia Tournament hosted by my friend Pete. I was on the first episode and then made it to the second round, so there are two episodes where you can hear me playing. So thanks to Pete for having me along with some great competitors. How did I do on that last one? You're going to have to find out at Middle Class Film Class. As usual, thanks to everybody that listens and supports us. If you're listening through Apple Podcasts or any other platform that allows you to rate or review, please do so. That's one of the best ways to spread the loot and share it with more people. But let's get on with today's loot, where we will talk about the films we saw in June. Let's go. The June Loot. The first set of films that I saw was Final Destination Films. This is a franchise that doesn't necessarily come to mind when speaking about franchises at all, but it's still interesting to see how it has persisted through the years. I remember I saw the first two a long time ago and enjoyed both, but kind of tuned off after that, never bothered to watch the other ones. But a couple of years ago, I decided to check the third one and had a lot of fun with it. So with two left to finish things, I decided to dive in with the fourth one, simply titled The Final Destination. This was released in 2009 and like all the other films in the franchise, it follows a group of friends that managed to escape a tragic accident when one of them has a vision of what was about to happen. But this only results in them being pursued by death for tricking their way out. In this case, the iconic opening sequence occurs at a racetrack where a car crash ends up causing all sorts of mayhem, including the collapse of part of the building and the eventual death of the main characters. And yes, there are some characters here, but it doesn't matter, because the point of this film is to see how each of them will die. The real star are the Rube Goldberg-like contrivances that lead to each death. 
Unfortunately, most of them feel a bit uninspired, but also hampered by bad CGI and cheap 3D effects. This is also the second one not to feature Tony Todd as the mysterious coroner slash Grim Reaper that serves as some sort of guide or seer to these kids. What that means is that the character's reasoning of what's happening is reduced to them googling some stuff and figuring out the rest through a weak sauce expository dialogue. It still manages to milk some fun out of the premise, but it's probably the weakest of the franchise. With that one under my belt, I went on and saw 2011's Final Destination 5, which more or less follows the same pattern. In this case, the big accident is a deadly bridge collapse. For some reason, this one felt a bit more fresh and creative than the fourth one. The kills were more inspired, the characters were better constructed, and it all felt well executed. Tony Todd is back in this one as well, plus there's a really wicked twist in the end that, unfortunately, I had spoiled, but it still makes for a pretty cool aha moment. So it's interesting because I think these two are respectively at the bottom and near top of the franchise for me. I should probably revisit the first one, which I haven't seen in a long time, to see where it stands, but part 5 was certainly a lot of fun. My friend Brian Clarkson said, can't get into Final Destinations, they tend to depress me. My friend Ed from the Film Effect Podcast said, curious to hear your thoughts as this is far and away my favorite sequel of the series. My friend Greystock Horsefall said, I forget exactly which one this is, but I think it's good. And my friend Sean from Review It Yourself said, arguably the best in the franchise. And like I said, I think I agree with Sean. Although again, I think I need to rewatch the first one to know where it stands right now. Moving on to the next set of films I saw, and that was Spider-Man films. I finally decided to take the jump on the Mark Webb duology, starting off with 2012's The Amazing Spider-Man. I'm a huge fan of the Tobey Maguire series, which is probably why I wasn't that keen on jumping on this one, which came out so close to Spider-Man 3. Not necessarily because of a particular allegiance to Raimi's series, but mostly because it felt like too soon for the same stuff. But anyway, it's been 11 years, so why not? In this one, Peter Parker is played by Andrew Garfield, who's obviously trying to juggle his newfound spider powers with his regular life as a high school teenager. This is complicated by the mysterious disappearance of his father years before, who was employed by Oscorp to develop a regenerative serum, along with Dr. Kurt Connors, played by Rhys Iphens. Caught in the crossfire of his life are his Uncle Ben and Aunt May, played by Martin Sheen and Sally Field, as well as his love interest, Gwen Stacy, played by Emma Stone. So yeah, the film pretty much walks the same road that Raimi's Spider-Man walked, how Peter's bitten and him testing his superpowers and how his attitude and recklessness lead to Uncle Ben being murdered, spoiler, so it did feel a bit like going through a list of Spider-Man checkboxes to cover. What does make the film shine are the performances from Garfield and Stone and the interaction between their characters. It is a bit of a stretch to buy them as high schoolers, but they have an undeniable chemistry and they're both great. And so is most of the cast, if it wasn't for the fact that they're not used as characters, but rather as moving pieces for potential sequels. There is little organic flow to things, and you just feel the filmmaker's wheels grinding. Let's do this here so we can do that in the sequel, yeah! So yeah, maybe your enjoyment of this will depend on how you feel about the Raimi or the Holland ones. Overall, The Amazing Spider-Man, it's solid, but not something I'm that crazy about. 
The sequel, on the other hand, oh wait, where to begin? That one follows Peter again as he's still burdened by his superhero duties and his desire to protect those around him, which includes Gwen, and look, there's his childhood friend, Harry Osborn. Oh, and there's also a geek-turned-supervillain, Electro, played by Jamie Foxx. And there's also a Russian criminal that ends up becoming Rhino in literally the last five minutes of the film. Remember what I said about moving pieces for potential sequels? Anyway, it's a lot, and it feels like that. A mess. The introduction of Harry is clumsy. The checkbox thing I mentioned for the first one is amped up here. Electro's motivations are flimsy. There's some corporate machinations within Oscorp and its BP and how that connects to Peter's father. Again, it's a lot and it doesn't work well at all. The saving grace, once again, is in the performances of Garfield and Stone. There are also some solid moments between Peter and Aunt May that give the actors some moments to excel. Moments when they are allowed to be humans and not indestructible superheroes, ciphers, or plot devices, until they're dragged into the next CGI bashathon with the villain of the moment. This was definitely not good. But finally, the reason for me to finally watch these two was because I wanted to see Spider-Man No Way Home. And I knew what most people already know, that Garfield and Maguire are in it. And since I'm an unabout completist, I thought, fuck it, I'm going to watch the Mark Webb once before jumping into the new one. In this one, Peter Parker, played by Tom Holland, is trying to get some sense of normalcy after his identity was revealed at the end of Far From Home. This ends up also affecting the lives of his girlfriend MJ, played by Zendaya, and his best friend Ned, played by Jacob Batalon. Determined to give them a second chance, Peter goes to Doctor Strange, played by Benedict Cumberbatch, to see if he can cast a spell where everybody will forget his real identity. No, no, but not everybody, just the ones that didn't know before. No, no, but unfortunately, his indecisiveness leads to a botched spell that ends up dragging several characters from other universes, trying to also get a second shot at Peter Parker, any Peter Parker. I was a bit conflicted about this one when I saw it about a month ago, and I'm still conflicted. There are some clever aspects to its meta approach, and it was nice to see Alfred Molina, Willem Dafoe, Tobey Maguire, and Andrew Garfield take another shot at their characters, but at the end of the day, it's nothing more than a heavy-handed wink-wink to the audience, especially when you have characters throwing meme-like lines just to make us chuckle. The return of all these retro villains also feels half-baked because as much care as was put into Doc Ock and Green Goblin, Jamie Foxx's Electro feels a bit half-assed, while Sandman and Lizard feel more like a CGI afterthought. It all feels like an incomplete project where the deadline crept up on the studio and they had to rush to finish it. The film still manages to pull some moments of movie magic, like that conversation between the three Peter Parkers in the rooftop where they shared their burdens and preoccupations. I thought that was a very nice and strong scene. Plus, the chemistry between the three actors was great and a lot of fun to see unfold. As for the logistics of the plot and the how and why they have to be saved, uh, that still feels a bit iffy. It is a fun film, but it needed a bit more thought into how everything works together. My friend Darren Lumber from Nostalgia Cast said, I hate the Amazing Spider-Mans, but I adore the Spider-Man in No Way Home. My friend Brian Clarkson said, Honestly, I like the Amazing Spider-Mans. Andrew Garfield was fine, as was Sally Field. I just think they needed a director who could do action. My friend Stu from Stu World Order said, I really enjoy both Amazing Spider-Man movies, and no one can make me feel bad about that. My friend Tyler at A Film Addicted said, Garfield is a great Spider-Man, and seeing this will definitely enrich at least one pivotal scene in No Way Home. And my friend Kevin the Critic said, it's fun fluff for me. 
Finally, the last set of films I saw was from the BMW short films I've talked before called The Hire, which featured Clive Owen as a mysterious unnamed driver that is hired for various tasks for the sole reason of showing him driving a BMW around. Well, I've talked about a couple of these before and how interesting their development is in that BMW managed to hire renowned directors like Wong Kar Wai or Tony Scott to make some of these. But not only that, but also gave them the artistic freedom to something that feels very much like their product. In this case, I saw three more of these. The first one I saw was called Ambush, directed by John Frankenheimer. This was actually the first one from the series, and it follows the driver as he is transporting an old man. While on a remote road, they are ambushed by a band full of armed men that claim the old man is carrying $2 million in stolen, uncut diamonds. This ambush obviously gives the driver the chance to drive his BMW really fast, so maybe we can buy one, but it was really well done. I love how Frankenheimer handled the thrill of the chase in a tight and concise way. The second one I saw was called Chosen, and it was directed by Ang Lee. In this one, the driver is tasked with transporting an Asian boy from the docks into a safe house. The Asian boy is supposed to be like a chosen one by some monks that are protecting him, but that of course means our driver is going to be ambushed again by some bad dudes. The interesting thing is that Lee, as opposed to Frankenheimer, combines the use of classical music with an almost operatic movement of the cars as they are trying to get out of the docks through the cargo containers. It is beautifully directed and it also has some neat twists within the story towards the end. The third one I saw is one called Star. I know Pete from Middle Class Film Class is a fan of this one. This was directed by Guy Ritchie and stars Madonna as a spoiled singer that the driver has to take from the hotel to a venue. Again, this is a perfect example of how each of these shorts carry the flavor of its director. The thrilling chases of Frankenheimer to the operatic movements from Lee, this one is pure Ritchie. From an opening fourth wall breaking monologue by the driver to a combination of fast paced cuts and slow motion direction, all while peppered with Richie's style of humor. The thing is that I didn't feel it jived that well with the other ones I've seen from the series. Not the two I spoke on this episode or the ones I've seen before. I really didn't feel like it fit in terms of tone, style, or even the demeanor of the driver. It's not awful, but it's probably my least favorite so far. Sorry, Pete. So that was my June loot. A small loot for that month, but still some good stuff to talk about. As usual, feel free to check out any of these films and let us know what you think, because we love getting feedback from people that get something from the loot. If you want to do that, you can find us via Twitter at TMML2021 and my personal account at TiffCGD. You can also use those to let us know what you think of the show, film recommendations, or just engage with us. I love talking film with people. As you know, the podcast is available on pretty much every audio podcasting platform from Apple Podcasts and Spotify to Google Podcasts and GoodPods and everything in between. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts or any other platform that allows you to leave a review, please do so. That's one of the many ways you can help spread the loot. It'll be until the next episode. And remember, with a great podcast comes great responsibility. See you all. Are you okay? Yeah, we're okay. Oh my God, you're bleeding. I'm fine. I'm okay. No. Are you sure? I'm fine. I promise. We should go, right? You're gonna forget who I am. What? Forget who you are? What are you talking about? It's okay. I'm gonna come and find you, and I'll explain everything. I'll make you remember me. And I'll be like, none of this ever happened. Okay? Okay, but what if that doesn't work? 
What, 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 what if that doesn't work? What, what if we can't remember you? I, I don't want to do that. I don't want to. I don't want to do that. I know, MJ. I know. What, what, there's not something we can do. We can. We can't come up with like a plan or something. You know, there's always something we can do. There's nothing we can do.